it's a non-runner thing mostly there's not a lot of people but you know they they hear what i did and the the quick reaction is why and it's like no it's not the right question you should be asking me what is your why and then we can have an amazing conversation you want to ask me what is your why i'll give you an hour of my time and, and when you're running a marathon or 5k or 100 miles you better have a why i don't care how long the race is i don't care your experience level your age it's like you have to have the why so you've got to figure that out hello podcast world welcome to episode 56 of run chats with ron runs nyc At 3 p.m. Sunday, most running the 125th Boston Marathon were getting ready for a carb-loading dinner and sorting through their normal pre-race anxiety and rituals. Stephen England, a type 1 diabetic, had far bigger aspirations in mind, and had just set out to run 100 miles to commemorate the development of insulin 100 years ago. Can you say Quad Boston? Stephen is an accomplished distance runner, having completed the Western States 100, Tour de Gant, the Cocodona 250. But what would make this infinitely more challenging, he would have to run four times Boston unsupported. No crew, no aid stations, except for on his fourth marathon. We discuss the highs and lows, the funny moments, unexpected meetups with cyclists riding the course through the night, with Boston's finest using a vending machine at 2 a.m., late-night pizza and snacks delivery from friend Mike Sala, who ran Boston in the morning, meeting another quad runner, Henry Ward, who was running a quad for his fifth successive year, fueling at CVS, Dunkin' Donuts, and some of the strange looks he got in the middle of the night, sharing miles with two women, one 14 weeks postpartum, and his good friend from New York City and Sherpa Terrence on the final leg of the hugely inspiring quad journey. We close the convo on what is your why. It's truly powerful stuff. Stevens, to inspire and empower type ones that there are no limits. What an accomplishment. Give Steven a follow for more inspo and look for him pacing the 330 group at the 50th New York City Marathon. I hope you all enjoy the convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good morning, Stephen England. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing today? Hi, Ron. Good morning. Great to be on your show. I appreciate being here. Yeah. Excited to have you, man. It's uh, big things coming out of Boston from you, brother. And uh, while most of us are just exhausted from running a standard 26.2 stroll through from Hopkinton to Boston, you were out there doing something completely wild, amazing, and just uh, blew me away when I saw it. Uh, we are in the Koros Explorers group together. We're part of Team Koros. And I saw that you ran 106 miles and I saw the graphic uh, show up on our screen, on our page. And I basically almost fell over. I was like 106 miles, 
Boston Marathon. Wait, this can't be right, can it? And as I dove in a little deeper, it was in fact right. And it was a planned planned opportunity. So man, we got to get into the story behind this, how you put it all together and uh, have you break it all down for us. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild and uh, pretty adventurous, but I've done a few things that are like that. So uh, nothing better than Boston Marathon is my platform to uh, to do something pretty crazy and uh, for for a good reason too. Oh yeah. So so tell us all, um, you know, where the idea came from, uh, and you know how you you know were able to put it together. And of course, you can't run a hundred miles on the Boston course without putting some some planning together, discussing it with people, working through logistics, and like what was the overall like kind of theme behind it? What were you really, you know, what was the kind of the why behind the event? What were you after? So there's really like the main the main why is behind the hundred. I mean, it, technically the GPS is 106, and that was what I ran, but it's about it was about running a hundred miles in Boston because this is a very special year for me and for millions around the world, because it's the 100th year anniversary of the discovery of insulin, um, which uh, type 1 diabetics like myself, we, we need insulin to, to be alive and to be healthy. So it was a celebration of, of, of science and the breakthrough of you know, a huge, huge thing. And uh, when I was diagnosed 27 years ago, that, that rocked my world. And I, um, I now persevere and I do crazy marathon ultra things and uh like i said i've done i've done boston a lot and i uh this was definitely a special boston being being in october anyway but uh i really felt like this was the this was the platform to do the quad so there actually wasn't much planning uh you may be surprised to hear it was kind of um covid didn't really train for speed and i was like what am i gonna do and, my, and then we had a, a couple of health scares of some family just before the race. So I wasn't even sure if I was going to get up to Boston a week before and do this. But um, I just knew if I started uh, a day before the actual race and I could calculate running the course three times, which is uh, 78.6 miles and get back at the start, I could figure that part out. I was going to be good. Uh, maybe easier said than done. So logistically, pretty crazy. And I figured out a lot of things on the fly. Um, but that was my why. My why was because I have type 1 diabetes. This is the 100 years, and I wanted to do 100 miles. That is spectacular. Um, just absolutely unbelievable. And somewhat doing it on the fly, I just love that even more. Uh, <laughs> because so many of, uh, I think, the best adventures that I come across in life are people who just, you know, I don't want to say wing it because it's not a wing it situation at all. Um, a, you have to know that you're fit enough and strong enough to take something like this on. You're not going to just go out there and, you know, crash and burn. But there's a lot of work behind it. As you said, you had to figure out how to get to the 78 point so that you could actually run the marathon while the race and event is going on. And actually, that ended up working out well for you for this year because we basically had a rolling start and you could basically, you know, kind of jump in and start the race wherever you wanted this year as opposed to other years. You know, if you had a red bib, which you normally would have or I would have, you'd be in the first wave of the non-elites, you know, as the elites go off and the elite wheelchair uh, runners go off. And then, you know, the bib colors, you know, change as you go back. So in one regard, that probably helped you and made this a little easier to plan, right? For sure, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I have some I have some speed in me still, and I get to I get to get the red bib most years at Boston, so I had the fancy bib on. 
but it didn't really mean anything other than like I just had to get to the start around nine o'clock. And um, luckily, I have some experience in this kind of crazy world of doing a co-op because I did the double five years ago, a bunch of friends. So doing the double was starting at around five in the morning at the finish line. Then we all ran out and chatted and got to know each other. Um, have some great friends who did that, uh, some in New York, some around different parts of the country, and it was cool. So that was a super helpful kind of, you know, stepping stone to like, okay, I've done the double. Um, how much harder can the quad be? And oh boy, it was so different. It was like complete, and I was on my own. There was no one with me this time. It was kind of like, I'm just going just gonna to figure it out, figure out what places are open, like, when does Whole Foods shut? Like I knew what things were on the course. Like it's a CVS here. Oh, that closes at nine. That's not going to work. You know, most places in suburban Boston on that route, there it's a Sunday night and it's a Monday morning and it's Columbus Day. So I'm like, oh man, this is this is not going to be good. And it was pretty much true. Like things shut nine or ten, and they opened at five or six, or it didn't even open again. So that was that was some fun. I, I tried to plan a bit of that. But like I said, like the first marathon I went out in on the Sunday afternoon, my neck is just getting tired looking left and right and like looking at like the hours of these like bodegas and Trader Joe's and all sorts of stuff. And do I get stuff here? And it was like just on the fly, figuring it out. It was cool. That's amazing. Um, Because for an average person, it would be mind boggling to accomplish it. You have diabetes, my friend, and you can't have a huge spike. You can have those big number drops that the rest of us, you know, we run a marathon and we don't get our fueling right. And the most common term in the world, it's bonking or crashing, you know, for someone who has diabetes and lives, lives with this life, uh, lives this lifestyle every day, has to live it. You know, you've been enduring this since you got diagnosed at like 14 years old. So you were, you know, kind of introduced to it head on. I mean, any good runner worth their salt at some point has fucked up a marathon by not taking enough gels. Raise your hand, Ron. Still did it again this weekend. Yes. Took my Morton 320 fuel. Stomach was feeling a little dodgy. Got all my Morton gels on my belt and Morton's on the course. But nope, Ron doesn't take any gels because... My stomach was just feeling iffy, and I felt like if I took a gel of any kind, I was going to hurl. In your case, you don't have that luxury, man. You've got to keep your blood sugar numbers in some range. I don't know what that is. Obviously, you can explain it far better than I could, but if you don't find a CVS open on that route as you're running through the night or in the morning, you know, it could be a big big issue for you. So, I mean, did you? I'm sure you had some sort of pack on where you had some things you know, that you could carry with you. So the main logistics was you can't wear a hydration pack, which you're used to, you, you know, from the whole trail scene. I know you do a bunch of ultras too. So you can't wear a hydration pack in, on the, the, the marathon race per se. Uh, I guess it's for security reasons. So I, you know, I, I respect that. And I, so I, but I could wear it for the three marathons before. So I jacked that up with noon hydration, uh, honey stingers, fruit, uh, hat, gloves, headlamp. Uh, jacket. I can't, you know, I had it all kind of figured out. Me and my wife, Tiffany, she was having me pack the day before and getting it all like, I was packing minimally to go to Boston, didn't have a hotel, which is wild. Um, and just like, it was like a minimal like effort of like take very little and then just start running. And then obviously have cash and credit cards to, to buy things. So I did that. And then for the way back, I have this like compression sport, like waistband. It's really for like trekking poles when you're like, I guess it's more like an elite thing if you don't want to wear a pack. 
So you put the poles in the back and they just sit there. But there's a, there's a huge pocket around the whole thing. I'm like, that's great. I can flatten my pack out. I can bring back the headlamp and I'll bring back one like floppy water floss because I because I like it. Anything else at 78.6 miles is trash. So whenever I get there, if I have like too many gels or like whatever, like that's just garbage. Like I, I am not bringing that back. And like, so I purposely like plan that out uh, all of Saturday of the Boston weekend. Um, and that was kind of my like, that was my gear. And then per like other clothing, it was kind of funny. It was like, do I, do I like take like, you know, a brand new shorts and shirt for the race? And Tiffany's like, nah, it's an ultra. You can just stink and be sweaty. And I was like, yeah, love it. Let's just do that. So I just wore the same like, uh, like Hoka clothing and then my same socks and my shoes. And yeah, I was pretty revolting. So if you were around me in the race day and you did see like kind of a sweaty guy chafing and hobbling around to the back, you know, didn't quite seem right. That was me. And I apologize if, uh, if that was a little bit strange, but I was doing something a bit extraordinary. I love it, man. This is, this is a new way to make sure you don't have a lot of people in your race photos, man. Because if you're out there rocking 100 and wearing the same clothing, man, people are just like, whoa, something doesn't smell right over this way. I'm going to slide left or slide right. So Steven's got the spotlight coming down Boylston, man, and all the other key points on the course. And and well-deserved, man. I mean, just just totally amazing. And what an adventure, man. What a total adventure. So were you know what was your go-to places along the route was it like cvs because they're open 24 hours like in terms of like emergency pit stops or whatever because i'm sure you had to hit those at some point right just to keep things moving and and keep you on the right on the right path right so they're really i mean i left at 3 p.m sunday and i had like kind of six hours to like look around what was open and figure it out and obviously i carried a lot of stuff on me and I was trying not to consume those gels. Like I had a bunch of stuff, like like granola bars and different gel formulas, all that stuff. I had so my pack weighed a ton. Like it was bulky. I definitely chafed from that too. But like I just had to carry shit. Um, I went to Whole Foods. I was like, I love Whole Foods. I got some grapes. Wearing my bib and my stuff, no one cared. I was like, you know, put my mask on. And like, do you see I'm wearing a bib? Like, no one gave a shit. It was great. I loved it. Um, then I was like, okay, I got to get some water somewhere. And I went past this gas station, just the bottom of like Wellesley, this real sketchy gas station, but it had an Aquafina vending machine, just water or Gatorade, that like real old school. And I went, so I was like, yes, went up to that. And it was dollar bills only. And I had like a bit of cash, but I had to like, so I had like a $5 bill. So I went to the guy, he's about to close up. Like I made it by 10 minutes. I said, can I have five singles? He's like, yeah, fine, whatever. Kind of, you know, weirdo. Take the five singles. <laughs> I get two. I get two bottles of water, freezing cold. I carry them in my pack. I'm like, these will last me like another two hours. But I'm like, well, then what am I going to do later on? Like, nothing's going to be open. Like, I can't just, I can't rely on. I don't know what else is coming up, but I don't think much is much is left. So I go back in for twenty and said, can I change twenty for singles? And like again, no problem. Gives me twenty singles. So it's like, you know, at this point, it's kind of a sketchy story. Lots of singles. But um, so I had that. I was like, okay, this, as long as it's in stock, my vending machine is my savior for like three marathons. Moved it on the course, found a CVS 24 hours. And it was getting a little bit like dark. So the lights were pinging CVS 24 hours. It was like I hit like the Vegas casino. So I was like, I was, I was pumping my fists in the air. I was so pumped up that I found a CVS. So I skipped by. I didn't need it, but I knew on the way back I would. 
Uh, then I saw Wendy, saw Burger King. I mean, you see, I'm like, yeah, that's 1 a.m., that's midnight. I'm just like, am I going to get back in time? It was wild. So that was kind of the way out. Luckily, and this is really lucky, my friend Mike Salah, he's an Aussie guy, lives in New York. He was doing Boston, and he had a car. He said, I'll meet you in Hopkins here. And I was like, really? He's like, I don't really care. I'm just, you know, I'm, gonna have, I'm running for fun. So he, he agreed to meet me, and he said to me, like, at the start, at my start line, he said, what do you want? I said, I have no idea. It's like six hours away. And he's like, so he's just going to meet me. With, with no, I, had, I didn't give him any specifics. I get to Wellesley. I call him. Hey, Mike. I need three water. I need five waters. I need a, I need a cheese pizza. I need lots of fruit. And I, I was like suddenly, for, I was like, I was like super cool to like the most demanding ultra runner that there is. And I can be a little bit demanding of my crew. So that wasn't new. He was awesome. He's like, uh, shit. Okay. Got to go. I'll, I'll find it. Cause he was in Boston. He had to like find all the stuff and then drive out to me. So he met me there at like 9 PM and, uh, it was cool. Like I had a spare Ziploc. I had like two two cheese pizzas, made a sandwich out of it. So the cheese is obviously inside and just chowed it down, changed some water bottles out. And the rest of the pizza I put in the Ziploc and just whacked it in the back of my pack. And, you know, before I knew it, I was back down the steep hill and number two for like the night session. So, but this was the thing, like now it became real because now I had an, I had a basically an hour and back to the start line with no one. I had the CVS, I had the vending machine, but that's all I had. I had no company, I had like, there was nothing else. It was just me in my head now. And I had to get, like we said, I got to get back by 9 a.m. So that was the, that was the stressor. Absolutely amazing. Um, I, I can't even imagine pizza, <laughs> smashing the pizzas down and everything. But for anybody who listens to my show, we certainly have ultra runners. We have Ironman athletes on here on the show. And anybody who knows, when it gets to that hunger level, man, and you're going deep, you know, from 50 miles on an ultra to 100K or 100 miles, you will literally eat anything. There is nothing that you're going to say no to. Um, and literally something that you might normally despise, you might be like, oh, okay, I'll eat this. They were giving out pickles at the top of Heartbreak Hill this year. And I'm so bummed that I missed out on that because I, I don't know what I was thinking because my stomach was sketchy, but I would have taken a pickle in a heartbeat. I would have been like, all right, hand over the pickles. So you're wolfing down pizza. You got vending machines. You're giving custom orders to somebody of yours from New York who's clearly the MVP of this operation. And uh, you know, you're just you're ripping along. Now, how far are you in the journey at this point? Are you on loop two or are you on loop three at this point? Yeah, I kind of pieced out from Hopkinton. So like I'm back, I'm back to my solo mission. So I'm on like 27-ish miles on my watch. Cause obviously, like, you know, as we all know as marathon runners, we never run 26.2. And everyone that complains, stop complaining because you don't run the tangents. Like, it's impossible. So that's why I ran 106 point something because it should be 104.8. But I can't run four tangents. One, like, I'll be in people's way and, you know, I smell pretty bad on the way back. But the other thing is, like, I'm going through traffic at night, so I don't want to kill myself. So, um, yeah, like 27 miles I'm leaving and um, – I'm just kind of going back and I'm like, all right, so let's, my next plan was to get back to Wendy's before 1am closing time. I'm like, I want to get, I want to get a coffee and eat something warm in me. And I want to get a jack potato with the sour cream. That sounds great. So I'm like pumped up. I'm like going to get there for mile 40. I'm going to make it in time. I'm so ecstatic. I'm like, this is it. This is my hot food moment to get to Wendy's. And obviously I'm laughing because I, I'm going to, 
the, the main building had closed, but the drive-thru was open. I'm like, this is going to be hilarious. I'm going to get a selfie of me doing a drive-thru with no car. I get to, I get there, and there's like 18 cars looping around the whole thing. No one's going anywhere. And I'm just like, as much as I want a Wendy's, I haven't got 20 minutes to stand, stand around. So that never happened. Um, but I knew CVS was about two more miles down down the road. This is like Framington area. Um, I should know the town's, you know, like anything else, but it's around that area. So I jump in CVS, I grab a Coke, I grab a, grab a Red Bull, a Kit Kat, a bag of chips. Um, the woman at the counter's like, you running the marathon tomorrow? And I'm like, <laughs> sure am. And she's like, okay, have a good one. Like she knew I was like a, a couple of screws loose. Like she, she, she caught on, like she saw the state of me and that, and that bib wasn't looking too rosy by then. So that was, that was pretty funny. And then, um, it was going pretty well. Like I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to run like six hour marathons. That was kind of the three, six hour marathons to get back. So it's, it's all on track. I get to the vending machine. So now I'm ready for like a few more Aquafina is my new sponsor. Hint, hint. And, um, so obviously it's like pretty dark with the machines, bright white. It's like kind of a scene out of like a eighties film coming up and I'm up there like throwing in the dollars and then I just get the red and blue, like, colors behind my shoulders i'm like what the hell and the cop's like so what's going on here then and i'm like <laughs> getting some water he said stores closed and i said vending machines open and he looked at me like this guy's a wise guy he's like why is he like this this british accent at like two at one in the morning or something giving me like some lip and he looked at me and goes are you running so i looked down at my shoes and back up like over sarcastic said yeah, I'm running. And he's like, all right, get out of here. And he got in his car and drove off. And I was like, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, grab, grab some water. Didn't get arrested. No cuffs, which is good. And, uh, up, you know, carried on Newton Hills, lots of, lots of power hiking. And, uh, I've got to add, this is awesome because the road is now pretty much closed. They haven't really started doing the course marking. They got a lot of U-Hauls each mile. It's got all the water Gatorade or locked away. But the course isn't like really ready. There's no mile marker signs. There's no mats out. It's just something that people would never even know. I mean, I didn't know. But there's a bunch of cyclists in these groups on these like lit up bikes, like multicolored bikes, like blaring tunes. I'm like, what is going on? What what is so why are all the volunteers from Hopkinton riding back to Boston to sleep? This, this, haven't they got haven't they got buses to help these guys out? And obviously that wasn't what the story. Finally, some people were like, they're like hollering me. I thought I was doing the virtual marathon. I was doing a little bit more than the virtual, but that's okay. I gave them the woohoo. And uh, at a light, they're like, so what are you doing? I said, guys, what are you doing out here? And they're like, oh, we do this every year. We just, it's the Boston Marathon weekend. We just go, we just cycle all night long on, on, on the road. I'm like, that's awesome. And they're like, yeah, we fucking love it. I said, yeah, that's fucking cool. And they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing Boston four times. They're like, whoa. They're like, they absolutely like loved it. They're freaking out. So um, that was just great because that was such a boost to have like, you know, like random cyclists, you know, the whole thing of runners and cyclists, we're meant to hate each other. And then this one moment at like midnight, one in the morning, we're bonding over the, 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 uh, the roads being closed, the marathons in the morning, they're doing their thing. I'm doing mine. That was just great. It was a great, great like boost and um, yeah, kept on going. So Pretty cool. That was the, that was the second leg as, as such. So we're nearly arrested by the cops. Classic. 
Um, unfortunately, we didn't have you filmed on the go with a GoPro on top of your head because this this is some epic stuff. Then we got cyclists, we got the kumbaya moment, like you said, in Central Park. There's always the angry moments of cyclists and runners threatening to kill each other every day with the hands going and flipping each other off. Who's in the wrong lane? And then we had dogs walking off leash and other idiots riding city bikes the wrong way with no helmets. And it's just chaos, right? We have to deal with that pretty much on a daily basis in the city, but we love it. We It's New York, man. It's what we do. But I can't imagine what a boost that would have been for you being out there, like in the middle of the night, trudging around doing your work and then having that company. So that that had to be a huge, huge lift, man. Fellow crazies just out there doing their thing, meeting another fellow crazy and helping break it up for you, man, because that's what you need. You know, running all through the night, man, that's not, that's not my thing, man. Re- respect, man. Respect. That's the whole deal because like you run an ultra, you run a hundred miles in an ultra and I've done a, you know, a bunch of those things. I had the experience, but every five miles to 10 miles, you have the aid station, you have the seat, you have the volunteers, they'll massage you. They'll kind of tell you how great you are. I just got like a few cyclists telling me that I'm nuts too. And but that's just pure luck. Good stuff, man. So where are we now? How far along? How far along are we at this point? So we're kind of clipping along. Um, we're kind of like mile. Let's like let's say like mile forty-five. I'm rolling through the Newton Hills. I'm I'm power hiking up, and um, this is where I like I love cyclists even more because I'm walking up Heartbreak Hill, and again, like they think I'm doing the virtual marathon, right? But I'm kind of late to finishing, and like two or three cyclists, like, are you walking the whole way? to Boston. And I'm like, if only you knew I was mile 40 of a hundred, baby. <laughs> so, I kind of just bit my tongue and said, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And they said, that's incredible. And I said, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And that was kind of amusing to me, kind of tickled me, but I didn't want to like go into the whole thing of every single person I, I came across. But I'd, at this point I'd heard um, there was one more person doing the quad as well as me. And he was ahead of me. And I was like, what? Like, this is wild. So I knew at some point there had to be this meeting of the, of the quads, right? We had to meet somewhere. Like, I mean, if he's got a headline, I've got a headline, we're doing the quad. So, you know, of course, what happens is I get over the train tracks with that four miles to go turn. Cleveland Circle. There you go. Cleveland Circle. It's a 7-Eleven there that isn't 7-Eleven because I know now. But that's, anyway, on your, that's on your left. I know exactly where that 7-Eleven is. I know, I know, I know the hours, which is sad. Um, so I meet, I meet this guy, and, I, I, and he's called Henry Ward. He's from Boston. Um, he now lives in Arizona. We both did Coca Cola 250 in May, which is crazy. And I, I didn't know anything about him other than I knew he did this race with me in May, and he knew about me. We met two in the morning, and he's like, "You're doing awesome." I says, "No, man, this is rough. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not on time." And he was so he had a pacer. And he was cool. And we just like, we just chatted for five minutes. And he, he was so reassuring. It was completely like that feeling of not him against me. It was just like us doing this quad thing together. And then what really like hit at home, how dumb I was, was like, yeah, I've got a pacer for the whole thing. I got a crew car. You met my crew, Eric, earlier. Um, I'm going to be on TV later. And I was like, oh, I got it all wrong. I got this. I got this thing. I, I got this thing so wrong. Because I'm like eight miles behind him. I'm never going to catch him again. And, uh, and, and then the, the real icing on the cake, this is his fifth time in a row doing the Boston quad. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, ex alcoholic addiction should, you know, should have died when he was a kid, wrote a book, 
um, humble, humble guy. We just became Facebook friends and we're pinging every time we post something, you know, Instagram, whatever, like heart this, heart that. It's cool. So that was my kind of second boost on the second leg was like someone else out here is doing this in the same pain as me for a different cause and different. And I, and that was absolutely amazing. It just shows you, man, our running community is just, it's really amazing. And, uh, you know, you mentioned meeting him at the Coca Dona 250. I mean, there was a time when 100 was the threshold. That was basically the furthest these races would go, other than stage races, which are, you know, multi day by nature. And, you know, you might tackle way different distances based on how you were feeling. And, you know, you have your crew and you have all the people. Like you said, you, you come upon other runners, you come upon aid stations. I mean, it's kind of what keeps you moving through the day or the night or when you, people come back from the dead, you see them out there at Western stage, you go, oh, that, that person's done. There's no way on earth they're finishing. And then boom, 20 or 30 miles later, they're back to life, you know, and they're running, you know, they're actually awake again, you know, they've come back. So what a crazy chance encounter. And uh, you guys are meant to meet, man. That, that's just super cool, man. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, we we didn't we didn't meet a Cocodona. I just knew his name from the race, but I never actually met him until until that like two a.m. encounter. Um, but yeah, incredible to meet him, and that gave me kind of a little bit of a kick to like, right, got to get to finish line. Like it was kind of a little bit competitive. Like I wonder if I'll see him again, but I probably won't. And it was like it was just kind of cool to know that, and that helped me like kind of get get through number two, get get halfway house. And, um, yeah, it was cool. Like turning, turning left onto Boston on my own, just a few like police cars and trucks down the bottom and empty streets it was surreal. It was surreal. And that was amazing because I'm like, when I come back here the next time, it's going to be packed with lots of people like, you know, daytime it's everything is so different when you run ultras. So I got back to finish line around three fifteen, I think, um, pretty much on pace but i didn't have a lot of time um to like mess around there grabbed a, grabbed a couple of pictures there's a bunch of cyclists doing their thing like they did their out and backs and they're all happy and taking pictures and then it's awesome so grabbed the cyclist got some snaps changed some fluids out and uh and then had to get had to get going again so now i'm now i'm really like looking at the watch thinking all right i gotta be like i gotta run this in like five 5.40, I think it was, 5 hours 40 to get back before the wave one begun. I didn't care about wheelchairs going, women, men elite, because they're small packs, right? I can run the sidewalk. They can be, they can do their thing. I can get out of the way. I can be a fan. Cool. But if wave one goes and I'm on the course, pretty screwed, right? Like that's my, so that was my stress. I'm like, somehow I'm like, how did I mess this up? Because I'm really tired right now. I mean, shock, right? It's 3.30 in the morning and I'm tired. Like, what a surprise. So now I'm just like, I got to get back. But my body is like, I wouldn't say sleepy. Just, I'm just, I'm just achy legs. Um, it's really sticky out. Is that, remember how humid it was up there? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a typical mid-October Boston. It, it was, was 90%. Stephen, like, I don't know when you started to run to where I you finished it. I didn't believe it myself, but you know, in Strava, you know, you'll see the weather data in there. And then I had two or three friends text me the morning weather. They were like, it was 89, 90, 91% humidity. I didn't feel it was that bad, but I didn't run a hundred miles, dude. So like, I can't even comprehend, you know, what that was like, but yeah, our brains, man, our brains aren't working 
perfectly a normal condition. So, you know, you're a diabetic, you're out here on your own. This dude's got a pacer, he's got a car, he's got a crew. You know, you if you hadn't met the biking dudes, you might have got locked up. You know, you got the police ready to arrest you for using a vending machine, which is just classic beyond belief. Too bad we don't have a selfie with that with the red lights behind you. That's that's like Kilgore's story in Florida when he was on that ranch with like 78 miles to go. You know, he had run 78, he had 100 to go, but he was on somebody's private property in like a community development and the police were like ready to arrest them. I mean, these things happen, man. And thank God you guys navigated and got through to the other side. But yeah, and you you hit on all that stuff. You're right. With the elite women, the wheelchair racers, there's just not enough of them where you would be causing chaos. But uh, absolutely, if wave one is coming at you, man, somebody might have seen you and just pulled you off the course and just said, dude, you're out. You know, like, we're taking you out of here. <laughs> you're causing mischief. We don't know what you're up to, but we're not we don't we're not here for it. You're out of here. Stephen England, there'll be no one hundred mile run today. No quad. It's not happening. Well, I will I, I will quickly um I'll quickly jump forward in the race because you hit on something that did happen and it wasn't a good story. So I definitely like that third one was was my roughest. I looked at the data on with uh, the core sports scientist Derek. We were we were doing the, the, the course pod, we used the pod as well as the watch to get data. And um, when he analyzed it this week, he's like, oh yeah, your third one was like rough. Like your third one out until the very, very end was was like definitely your weakest. And like, I, I already knew that. You could, I just, I, I know from memory. So I had a really hard time just like getting the movement going, like trying to, trying to run like 15 minute miles. That sounds so easy, right? Try doing that for your third Boston Marathon with no help. Like God bless you because- I was doing some 18s and 20s, like, you know, going to the bathroom, applying some Aquaphor, like, you know, the chafing is real. I'm sorry to say, like, this thing, like, you know, your sweaty clothes, like, it's kind of, it's an, it's uncomfortable, but that's what you put yourself in. So I'm getting, I'm getting like 10K away from the start. The, the police are everywhere. The military police are everywhere. It's super serious. I'm running towards these guys on the course. They're all looking at me. I'm just saying good morning, like military police, loads of guns, like don't, don't mess with these guys, right? They say morning, I say morning. The police, Boston police, not so friendly. This big, this big guy, like four miles out, he's like, wait, where are you going? I'm like, to the start line. He goes, you're running the race? So it was like exactly the same scenario as the, as the, as the cop at the vending machine. I was like, if I can please just get to the start line, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to run the race. I didn't dare tell him I was doing the Boston quote because then I, I would have been in cups. So he, he wasn't too pleased with me, but he's like, all right, get out of here. So like off I went. And, uh, you know, before I knew it, like a 5K to go, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. But I, I was like, it's okay. Henry told me at one, two in the morning, if I don't make it back in time, don't sweat it. It's a rolling start. Like we spoke about, like, just chill. So again, that encounter with Henry was like super important to me because it really calmed me down. Like I was like, oh, it was it, to me, it would have been a disaster otherwise if I didn't get back in time to make this perfect turnaround. Like, you know what? Like if I have to stand in a bush for five minutes and let wave one come through, that's what I'll do. It didn't quite come to that, but um, I did have to like go pretty tight on some of the sidewalks. So yeah, wheelchairs come through, men's elite, women's elite, that's all fine. You know, they didn't really like see me because why would they? They're racing hard. But then the wave one comes, I'm like, well, here it comes. And, and look at the sight of that, because that's a cool view. And the looks I got from wave one, hello, if you're listening, that was me on the side in the red bed with a, with a hydration pack. Yeah, I was at 70, 78 miles when you saw me. 
And I saw a bunch of friends and a few of them knew what I was doing. A few of them didn't know what I was doing. So like, it was just good to see the eyeballs get bigger. They're like, what is this guy doing? Um, but my highlight story is like this, this guy is like kind of an older guy, uh, like, you know, done, done a few Bostons, probably a little bit like you, Ron, no offense. And he looked at me and he saw my beard. He knew I was in the wrong place. And he just went, uh-oh. And I was like, I couldn't have put it better myself. Uh-oh, indeed. But, you know, I got there. I got there 30 minutes late to the start. And um, then I got to do my kind of change out. Like I said, like hydration pack flat, got the waistband out. And um, now I was getting ready for number four. It was funny. There's like this really, do you know that stone old cottage house on the left side of the start line? Yes. I now know the owner. Uh, <laughs> is that where you changed? Well, I just changed. I got rid of all my, all my, all my rubbish stuff, my crap and all that. And he, this guy comes out and he goes, can I help you? And I was like, um, just want to throw this away. Like, is anywhere I can throw it away? He goes, well, it's my house. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm really sorry. I, was like, I wasn't going to leave it here. I promise. He goes, no, it's good, man. Like, I'll take it and throw it away. He goes, really? He says, you're running the Boston Marathon, right? I said, for the fourth time. And he goes, what? So I told him. And he's like, took my trash away. Like, no problem. He goes, hey, do you want a bottle of water? And I was like, if you have one. <laughs> he brings me a cold water. I got anything. Do you want to use my bathroom? And I was like, that's too like, that was That was a little. says, I am too disgusting to come in your house and use your bathroom. There's like a bathroom every mile. But like, that's the... That's the spirit of Boston right there. That was so cool. That is an epic story. Um, that that house has uh, got some history on the course as well. Because um, I think uh, all of Hopkinton, this just has amazing history, of course. You know, just it's all built around that start. And it all starts here with the sign and, you know, the camaraderie of the people. You know, we hear about all the great positive stories. But, hey, there are other stories. I mean, not, look, the police have a job. You know, they are nervous. They are worried. You know, look what happened on that course. We'll never, ever, ever forget. So you are lucky in many ways, you know, that something crazy didn't happen to you, you know, that you actually got back to that starting line in one piece, you know, somehow fueling yourself on every combination of God knows what, you know, for a guy who has diabetes, you know, you're not a regular person that could just like stuff anything in and not worry about it. Now, do you have anything on you that monitors your like blood sugar as you're running something that's like attached to your body, you know, that like can pick up a, you know, again, I should know probably, but obviously since I don't have diabetes, I wouldn't know, but I've seen these Dexcom things and other things, which I see people hold a phone up to. And I have no idea if that's real. Is it accurate? Is it something that you could use in your own life or when you're doing a run? Like, is that something you actually used or you, or it's not something you can use? Well, I want to just, you're 100% right. I do want to I do want to give some credit to the Boston police because they're doing their job. And we did have 2013 Boston bombing. I'm sure you were there. I was there. I will never forget it. And um, they're just doing their job and they have to security first. So, you know, I, and I was very lucky. I was like, that was kind of thing. Like, I wanted to get back because I wanted to, I wanted to avoid that kind of scenario. Like, why is there someone going on the course backwards? And obviously I just didn't quite get to get get my speed up the third one to make it back but i was lucky they let me through i got to the official start and you know number four was about to unfold but to answer your tech question yes i have the dexcom which is um it's a continuous glucose monitor we call it a cgm because it's way quicker to say and i link it to this guy which is my tandem insulin pump 
Um, so that is my Dexcom graph live the last three hours. Um, so I can see my Dexcom, which is a transmitter, it's like a chip in my tricep, and that's a Bluetooth going to this machine, um, and the insulin comes out of this of this pump. Um, so it, it it comes out in like kind of small doses. Um, sometimes automatically, I can override this. Um, so I'm checking that every mile, at least every hour during during this Boston hundred, and that's my way of um, just trying to make sure I don't have low blood sugar and I don't have high blood sugar. Now that's a beautiful thing to say, but in reality, over you know four Boston marathons, I did have a couple of lows where I had to like quickly scramble and grab grab a couple of gels, like you know like sixty grams of quick acting carbs, like chuck them in get my number back up. And unfortunately with the body just getting stressed and just, you know, going under all that, all that just endurance of that many, that many miles, sometimes my blood sugar would get too high. And this actually happened mostly on the way back in the fourth one. So I was skipping a lot of the Gatorade and one main way of bringing uh, high glucose down is to take more insulin. They take, take too much, you could drop quickly. So it's a game. It's a roller coaster game. So the other thing is you have to hydrate well. So I was doing like double, triple waters every mile and skipping the Gatorade for a few miles if I was like, my numbers were like 200, 250. Just to give an idea to listeners, um, a non-diabetic glucose is around like 80 to 130. It will never, ever change. Your pancreas is automatically pushing out insulin in the bloodstream whatever you're eating with carbohydrates, it's breaking it down. It's controlling it. You have a, basically a line. My, my blood glucose can, can look like a roller coaster or mountain elevation thing. It's not meant to. Um, this is again, this is more for like, um, anyone on zoom, but that's my last 12 hours. So I was a little bit high overnight, uh, and I've come down pretty nicely, little junk for breakfast. And I've been pretty good since breakfast today. Um, so that's the name of the game is staying between those two lines. It's huge. I mean, that's that tech in, in, in diabetes. And I've lived many years without that tech is an absolute game changer. As long as it stays on your body, your, your inserts don't like sweat off and all that, but I carry spares. I carried a spare cannula, uh, on me. So if that, if that pump thing fell off, I could replace it during the marathon. Um, I didn't carry a spare Dexcom, but I wear this kind of, a KT tape pretty much it's like a circle around the transmitter so that's like you know that's like gorilla glue almost you whack that on and you put it on a tricep rubber this is obviously uh trial and error i used to put it on my abdomen and like things like western states like ice bandanas and the water coming down that thing fell off at like mile 10 i was like i am screwed now my crew had a spare for that race but those are the you you remember the, your mistakes and you don't make them twice so now it goes, the Dexcom goes on the tricep and that's, that's how I manage it, you know, running or not running. That's, that's the gear I use. That's awesome. And I appreciate that insight for anybody who's diabetic. Obviously we have, I'm sure we have plenty of runners in the community that listen to the show that have to manage those spikes and the peaks and the valleys. And I think team Coros, I think we got to get Lewis and the team working on we need a digital readout for you on the watch, man. We got plenty of fields to program in there. So we'll get the tech crew over at Coros working on that. So oh, I've already can... been sending the emails. The emails are going out already. I sent a few last month and I've sent a, sent a few more this week already. It says, yeah, we got to get the, 
we've got to get the partnership going because I need that. I really want that blood glucose on the, on the chorus because that's going to be, that's not just for me. I mean, selfishly, of course, it's for me, but it's for millions and millions of, of, of athletes of diabetes, type one, type two, um, there's different types. Is, is it, there's like, there's, there's type three. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of types. So this is just a great tool that should be an easy, not for me to do, but easy for the sports science kind of tech team to, to figure out. They're awesome. Um, having worked with Lewis and doing the Coros Vertex testing in New York City, um, literally any idea, you know, that I've come up with or any of our other testers who are using products around the world, um, alpine climbers, you name it. I mean, it's not just runners or or bikers or cyclists or triathletes. We've got literally every kind of athlete in the world in our in our community, if you will. So it's great because uh, the expansion opportunities continue to grow. And, you know, you talked about the pod data and other data. Well, you know, in time, you know, more and more information is going to be like right there at your wrist. And we're going to be able to monitor it during a run. And, you know, if you're doing a, your next quad, uh, hopefully with a little more support, I could guarantee you next year, get me involved, man. We'll get some logistics going for you, brother. We'll make sure you don't get locked up on the way and get, in, get into any trouble. But let's resume back. So now you are back at the starting line. You are changed, right? Or you've made the change, right? You've made the change out. You've swapped out your, you know, your backpack and that other gear. So I have to feel like it's got to feel a little better for the last loop. Sure, it is a grind beyond a grind to finish that last one. But still, at least you're not carrying as much baggage with you. Did it feel any better or were you just so crushed at that point? You know, it didn't matter. That's a great question. And I mean, I guess who... It felt better. The answer is it felt way better. Just to get rid of the hydration pack off your shoulders, the bottles in the front, just to change the weight around you. I mean, literally, I'm carrying four gels in my front, my phone in my back, uh, the backpack is flat, the headlamp, because it's my wife's and I would get killed if it didn't bring back the headlamp. And Divorce. And, yeah, well, maybe. Uh, hopefully not. And the hydration bottle. So like, like it was like kind of a... It wasn't a tire. It was a very, very loose tire. So, um, and, you know, it's almost like, who cares what I look like? I look like a hot mess and that's okay. So that's what I wore back. Interestingly, I did a test run with just the hydration, um, the waistband in Central Park on Thursday or Friday with all of my stuff. And my wife got pictures of me and while she was laughing uncontrollably. So because of the reaction of the laughter and how, and, and, and the other runners and cyclists in such a park and the, the double takes plus the bouncing, uh, that was not the, that was not the way to go. So thank goodness we went hydration pack for, for three out of four. So yeah, I'm in, I'm in pretty much, um, waistband territory and I leave around nine 45. But again, we said rolling star, thank goodness, rolling star. I mean, it was just great. Like, didn't feel great. I mean, I shuffled hard down that hill, but I was also very, um, I told this to Derek, uh, chorus. I was like, thank goodness. I wasn't, I wasn't with the, with the red people, the red wave one, like they would have all hated me. I'm like, I'm in their way. I'm clearly in their way. I'm running. I ran that first 5k in 45 minutes. These guys, you know, you know what they're doing. They're running that 5k in 16, 18, 20. I'm, I'm, I'm not helping them. So I'm glad um, I wasn't part of that problem, and I was I was pretty respectful of everyone else. I just stood, I just ran to the right most of the time. I didn't try and play the tangent game, like what's the point? Um, and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people passed me for miles, and it was 
it wasn't it wasn't humbling it was great i loved it it was just like this is the most surreal boston i will ever do this will be my slowest boston of my life i guarantee you if i do this when i'm 90 i can beat this time because this is like super slow and what was amusing was i knew because we're now like on the chip right you do, you start they have the chip map and every 5k they the chip map goes to people tracking you so i hit hitting that 5k in 45 minutes and i'm pretty sure i'm i'm getting some people all over the place tracking me scratching their heads like what is going on today here <laughs> so um it was going slow and it was going you know i got to like almost 10k and then my first savior appeared sherry um came up to me and she was uh so so adorable she's like can we run together and i'm like be my pleasure and I saw the back of her bib and it said 14 weeks postpartum. And I'm like, that is awesome. I says, you are incredible. Like, what the hell are you doing? This is so cool. And we just started like shuffling and walking and literally having a conversation on the Boston Marathon course, bonding over. It was her ninth Boston. It was my ninth Boston. Um, she'd run ultras. I'd run ultras. Um, and we just had a great conversation about what I was doing and what she was doing. And then another woman joined us, uh, Mimi, and she was like, uh, about 60 and she was getting the crowd going and she was full of energy, like just perfect. So now we were like a, like a, a three team. And then, um, the real, the real kind of moment that saved my, if you want to say, save my time was my buddy Terrence from New York. You know Terrence and back on my feet, and now he's at uh, Steve's camp. I do. Big, big runner. I do. He was running. I thought I may have missed him because I used a used a few Porter Johns by now, but I didn't miss him. He came up to me about mile uh, mile eleven and said, "Hey, how's it going?" I said, "About as well as it looks." So we were like four people all in a line, and we call ourselves Team Shuffle. We were Team Shuffle. Anything down, we shuffle. Anything flat, we shuffle. Anything up, we power hike, and we did that until halfway and it was going great and then we, the women were like we're going to finish together we're going to hold our hands and i was like we got to pick it up this is like an eight hour marathon here <laughs> like i'm not sure we could be i mean eight hours is a long time like i mean i know i'm in pain but that's that's a that's a while and and terrence was 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 the fuel i needed because he's like i gotta catch a train and i was like don't leave me he goes well if you don't pick it up i'm gonna i have to go bro and i was like Please no, I'll, I promise I'll do better. I'm like begging, I'm begging him that I can improve. And he's like, "Come on, chop, chop, we gotta go." So half, we get to halfway. Uh, think about three and a half hours. Sounds about right. I have to look at my chip, but uh, we tell Sherry and uh, the other lady we're gonna like try and pick it up. You know, we, it may fall apart. We, we may see you in a mile, like you know. But good luck to you. We're gonna we're gonna try and push on and. Out of nowhere, you know, Terence was was my pacer, he, and um, you know, to really cut it short, like he stayed with me the whole way, and um, we finished the race hand in hand down Boston Street. Um, and it just—he's a great friend. He's one of my best friends um, in the world, in in the city. And for him to like kind of give up his race just to like see me through and make sure I wasn't out there till dark. Um, I loved him for that. And it was just awesome because he, he, you know, he got me, he got me the Gatorade. He got me the water. Like, what do you want? I'll get it. Like, you know, how's your blood sugar? How's your glucose? Like, it's just, it's just what you need, right? You, 
it wasn't even like I didn't ask him, I didn't plan it. It's just it was meant to be, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a great friendship, and he, um, yeah, he rocks. It was cool. That's an awesome story. I mean, from every end, um, from meeting the two women, the fourteen weeks postpartum, and the other woman. I think you said Mimi. Um, the two of them joining up with them, um, chopping it up. Because when you're struggling, you need other other people to struggle with helps a lot. And you have the experience. I mean, you've done the Coca-Cola 250. I mean, saying that just makes me laugh out loud because it's like, yeah, 250 fucking miles, people. Are you kidding me? 250 miles. This is madness. But I'm here for the madness, man. I'm all about the madness. Anything crazy and hard, you know, I want in, you know, I want into the crazy stuff. But, you know, so, you know, just life has a way of setting these things up, you know, of those two coming to you at that moment. And then a good friend from back home, Terrence, I mean, an unexpected Sherpa, a friend to, you know, grab your Gatorades, grab your waters, just keep an eye on you, but also, you know, get you moving. Um, because we all have been at that spot. Anybody who's ever done an ultra or done a marathon or done an Ironman where you're like, Oh no, I, I can't, I can't run anymore. I can't ride anymore. I can't do any of the quote unquote activity anymore. And then somehow you change gears and start going faster. And not only do you go, you actually start to feel better somehow because you're moving at a better pace and you kind of almost free up your brain, maybe get out of your own way. And you, you start to chop it down. You start to, you know, make progress. And it's weird as the miles click off, you know, you're not thinking of a hundred anymore. I'm sure at some point, I don't know how I would be. I'd probably just be thinking I've been here. And by the way, I've also run nine Boston. So that's all of us who've run nine. Oh, um, nice. So nice. as you're coming up on these landmarks and you know them all, and you've seen them three times in the dark and in the light and backwards and forwards, like, you know, every single place, you know, when you get to the firehouse, you're at 17 and a half miles, you know, the Newton Hills start there, you know, you're ready to tackle those power hike them, do whatever. But at some point, you got to start visualizing, oh my God, this is going to come to an end, man. At what point do you start thinking like, okay, I'm going to pull this off, man. It's actually going to, it's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to make it. Well, I'm pretty fortunate that my brain is wired a certain way where I'm super determined and I really have a hard time quitting anything I put my mind to, but I really want to emphasize because I think this doesn't come across maybe like when I, when I post things on social, they're like, Oh, he's just done something crazy again. That's typical Stephen England. But there was like moments before Terrence came along and I met Sherry where I'm looking, I'm looking at the medical tents. Right. And I'm like, just want to go there and tell them like, you know, my feet hurt and I got some chafing. You just want that pampering. But at the same time, your brain's like, no, that's, that's the, that's the beginning of the end. That's the, that's the exit strategy. That's, that's the excuses. That's when you can say my blood sugar was too high. And it was, my blood sugar was too high. It was like 250 and it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the right number. So like I had the, I had the, I had the story ready to go. I had the DNF ready. And I was like, no, you don't, you don't need medical help. You just need to keep going one foot in front of the other. It's, it's relentless forward progress. It's no excuses. You're doing it for diabetes. You know, you need to, you have to have that why. And there's, but there was, I had some doubt. There was like that kind of like, I, I want to say like mile five to halfway, like I was in a bad hole and I needed Sherry. I needed, I needed to meet her. I needed Terrence to be my pace. And like you said, like um, he did like, you know, we're going to run from this white line to the lamppost. And that, that at first was hard. And then he would say, 
this is like we're going to go from that fire hydrant and then just to kind of like i don't know i don't want to say show off but like show him that i was getting better i would start before he said to start and then when he said to end i would go a bit further so he knew i was getting it back but that took a long time to like be able to like overachieve those very small goals with him helping me pace um i would say just somewhere around halfway when it was just I pretty much knew that Terence was going to be my pace the whole way. It was no guarantee because if I messed up, he had to get the train home, right? He had, he couldn't miss the train. He's got a wife and two small kids. He has to get back. And I respect that. So I had a lot of pressure to like not let him down too. But so, but it was somewhere in there, just like it became real. It became kind of like, I knew it was going to happen. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I made sure when I knew it was going to happen, um, towards the second half and, and also after the finish line when I got a little bit emotional which is typical in Boston I made sure I remembered back to the moments I was looking at the med tents looking for the story of how I could quit and because I, I because some, people easily forget once they finish something how hard it was you can quickly forget right like now it's been a few days like I can look towards something else because the pain's pretty much gone but in that moment it sucks really sucks and it's really really hard um, so I, I just, I think it's an emotional roller coaster, but I, I knew for the most part I, it was going to happen, but there was, like I said, there was a huge black hole in there and I needed a bit of help around me and a bit of, bit of, uh, mental toughness, which I am pretty good at to get me, to get me back on track. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because that's where the real meat is. I mean, that's where the real learnings are. Um, if you're a first time marathoner, if you're a first time 10K runner, a first time half marathon runner, at some point, a limit is something you've never done. It doesn't have to be some crazy number like 250 or a quad Boston. Whatever it is, it's still a limit our body and our brains have never tackled before. Um, and it's something that's like the deep unknown, like running in the dark alone, you know, and, and you know, CVS coming up and the Wendy's drive through and all these crazy things that are going on. It's unknown. It's uncharted territory. And yes, our brains 100% are always having that conversation with us. And I try to tell people this all the time, the ones who are at least willing to listen to me, the ones who listen to my show, the ones who have to listen to me on runs. Like this is our brain. It's always going to be saying, it's okay, Ron, to go to the port of John, man. Go, go to the bathroom, man. Chill out for a little while. It's all right, man. You don't have to finish this race. It's not, no worries, man. You, you've run 59 marathons already. You'll do, you'll do another one next, next time. You know, don't, don't worry if you finish this one. Like that conversation is going on. And I would tell my mom these stories. My mom, God bless her, is with me at 89. And her motto in life, man, lymphoma, breast cancer, multiple other cancers, you know, worked for when I was 17 years old, she started working for the company until she was 85 years old. That's how long she worked there. And I'm wow. 60. So it's like a 42, 43 year run at a company. And they're still trying to get her to come back there and work because they miss her energy and they miss her spirit. And I would often say to my mom, you know, how the hell did you raise three wild Indians, three crazy maniac boys a year and a half apart who were relentless, who wouldn't leave you be for a moment? She's like, every day I knew I had to put one foot in front of the other. I had to get down the road. I had to get to work. I had to get home to cook dinner for you guys. I had to get to your games. And I would always just tell myself, I got to put one foot in front of the other. So it's so funny 
that now I have a running podcast. Now I've become a marathoner and an ultra runner and a triathlete and all these other endurance sports. But my mom, who never played a sport, who was never an athlete, but taught my brothers and I how to throw a baseball and play sports, you know, my mom was showing me like, what does it take? And there it is. You're talking about it. Your brain is trying to shut you down, man. Your blood sugar's over. Your number's high. It's like walk into that tent gracefully and you still get the hero's welcome, man. Hey, man, I'm at mile 78. I ran three Bostons or I'm at 84. You're still going to be like, wow, I did something great. But you would have never felt the same way you're feeling right now. So I appreciate that you shared those tougher moments, the darker moments, because every single one of us that's ever finished some crazy thing we've never done has that voice in our ear. And if we could figure out a way to change the conversation, I do it out loud. I don't care who's listening. I don't care who's near me. If I'm on a trail or an ultra, I'm just like, yeah, I'm cramping. Yes, we're cramping. Guess what? We have 18 more miles to go. We're not done. So figure the shit out or we're going to walk or we're going to run sideways or we're going to go backwards or we're going to do whatever, but we're not leaving until we finish. And it may sound crazy. It's my own crazy wild way of approaching stuff as opposed to just letting it be inside there. I'm going to say it out loud to the rest of my body. And of course, anybody else that's out there in the trail with me might have to hear it. But it's so cool that you shared that, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's what happening all around me. Like, people are like you. There was a, a woman, I swear she's called Sarah. She's like, heartbreak kill. She's like, come on, Sarah. I mean, she's called Sarah, but I don't think it's crazy. I think it's awesome. Now I know her name. So I said, yeah, come on, Sarah. Like me and Terrence were like telling Sarah to come on. Like, that's what the sport, that's what marathoning is about right there. Like, it's not crazy. It's just, we all have a different ways of like working through the system. And the beautiful thing is the majority of us, like will get to the finish line. And even the ones that don't, if, you know, unfortunately, like if they could have, it's a shame because they're going to really regret it afterwards. And I'm actually just, some of my drive is I'm just, so, I'm so scared of just like not, not me, like giving up when you know there was something more there because it does flip. The brain does flip and the body does go again. And that last from the top of heartbreak hill to the finish line, I look like a pretty good runner. We passed a bunch of people. We didn't walk a lot. The last two months, I, I can't remember my, my, my pace much, but we didn't do a lots of, lots of shuffling anymore. We were like, we were running and, you know, just surprise, surprise. The last two miles, I ran like sub 10 minute miles, hundred, you know, mile 105, mile 106. It's all mental. It's not, you know, it's the, the body's, the body can, can go. I mean, I, Coca-Dona, I did almost five days of six hours of sleep. Like I've done crazier things than this. This is pretty crazy. But yeah, the brain is, brain is funny. And we have to remember like, you know, just keep on going. If you have time on the clock, I always say, just you have the time, you finish the race. If you have to sit down, lie down, whatever, that's whatever, whatever you have to do. But do not take yourself out of the game ever. Even if you're last, and by the way, I was last in my age group, and I was the there was only 44 people slower than me on Boston Marathon Monday, and that's that's I love. I mean, the stats are hilarious. I love it. I mean, I it wasn't about my place or anything. It was about the Boston 100. So yeah, just I always say my motto is kind of like I I can't quit diabetes. Had it for 27 years. So why would I quit a race? Like, and I really, that's kind of my mantra. I stick with that. Like, you know, it makes the race so, so much, it dumbs it down. 
It's just one race. I paid for this. I trained for this. I'm here for this. But living with type 1 diabetes every single day for the rest of my life, as well as millions and millions of people, that's hard work. And, and, you know, and, we, and we all find a way with, you know, luckily for me, good tech devices, other people on injections and blood, and blood tests to, to manage. But we all find a way to live and to be as healthy as we can. So that's kind of how my, that's, that's kind of my, don't, my don't quit rule. It's all, it's all linked to diabetes. Love it. I mean, if we don't have a strong why in life, um, and it's not just about running, it's about how we live, how we choose to live, um, and how we, we tackle life. How do we take it on, man? How do we take on adventures? And if you're looking for the out, it's going to keep coming up. It's going to just keep coming up. It's not going to come up when you just see the medical tent. It's going to come up when you see the porta john. It's going to come up when you see a friend on the side of the road who has a cramp. You're just going to pull up next to him and you're going to hang out and start talking to him. The next thing you know, you're not running anymore. Um, but when your mindset is so strong and so focused and you know why you're out there and you want to show people what can be done and, you know, what's at stake, um, you know, my mantra is stay in the fight. And I told you before we came on the air, I, my podcast shirt, my gear, my whole uniform is all orange and green from my mom, you know, dedicated to Ireland, you know, because my mom always reminds me, your last name's Romano, but don't forget your better half is Irish, McCabe. So it's like, I never forgot and I will never forget. But having my mantra on the back of my jersey, people were running up. Hey, I listened to your show. I listened to your pod. It's great. And I got to tell you what a lift, you know, what a lift it can give you out there when you're tired, when you're not feeling great, you know, and you know this, man, it could be your worst possible day ever. But to see somebody, you know, from the New York community, like for you and Terrence's case, I saw guys at the bottom of Heartbreak Hill and uh, we, we they're, he's, they're part of Lost Boys and, you know, they call themselves the Lost Dads because we're the older crew. And <laughs> they gave me a shout out, man. My, 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 my head and my eyes were down. I knew it was coming. It was like heartbreak. I was crushed. I had just run London the week before. I missed four months of training from the stress fracture after I ran the 60 miles for ribs to raise some money. And, you know, my head was down. I was just out of it. You know, I wasn't, you know, weaving or anything, but I just was out of it. You know, I was just like head down. And they started screaming my name, dude. And it was like Transformation Tuesday, man. I went bananas, man. I'm dropping F-bombs. I'm like, let's fucking go. Let's go. I mean, I was on top of heartbreak before I even knew what hit me. And it was all because I saw them. Because one of them jumped out in the road and ran. He didn't even run more than, I don't know, a few hundred yards maybe. But just the recognition, man. Just seeing a familiar face and familiar faces and people calling out your name out there can be the difference between somebody like coming back to life like that and just being energized. So you just don't realize all of us, the power that we have to inspire another person, um, to share a story, you know, like Stevens, which is just completely insane and totally badass. But, you know, by sharing stories like this, somebody out there is going to hear this and go, wow, this dude did a hundred mile unsupported run in Boston with no crew and like running all through the day and night. And he's diabetic. Okay. He's got that to manage as well. So that's what it's all about, man. Sharing the love, sharing the inspo and trying to get people fired up to get them off the couch to, to take on big challenges in life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that have now that it's been a few days since I've done it and it's it's a it's a non-runner thing mostly and it's not a lot of people but you know they they hear i did and the the quick reaction is why and it's like 
No, that's not that's not the that's not the right question. I said the right question is you should be asking me what is your why, and then we can have an amazing conversation. You want to ask me what is your why? I'll give you an hour of my time. But to say why is if I'm like nuts and losing my mind, like that's the wrong it's the wrong attitude. I want people to flip that because everyone non-runner and runners, and you saw this in Boston and London and everything else you've done in your career, we're all running for a reason. We're running for diabetes. We're running for our moms. We're running for someone who died of cancer as a kid or, or you know, everyone's got, you know, a charity bit. There's, everyone's got a why. And, and when you're running a marathon or 5K or 100 miles, you better have a why. I don't care how long the race is. I don't care your experience level, your age, male, female, binary, I could go on, right? It's like you have to have the why. So you've got to figure that out. Don't just do the training, like the physical training. There's a lot of mental stuff in there. And I really like, like I said, I didn't I didn't do much planning for this. I didn't do much training for this. I didn't know I was going to be in Boston. I used my training from Coca-Cola in May. I did a TGNY 100 in June. July, I shut it off. Look at my Strava. I ran zero July, August, so-so, September, not bad. And now we're here. I just did Boston Quad. How? Because like my mental and my why is so, so strong. And I have, I'm very fortunate that I have the base. But I really want to emphasize that to listeners. Like you just got to really, if you're doing New York City marathon coming up and you haven't got your why ready, you've got a few weeks to figure that out because I promise you, you're going to want your why. I love it. Um, because I don't think there's a single thing that's more important. Um, because for all the runners we meet in our paths, all the ultra runners, the marathoners or triathletes, whatever your sport, whatever your fitness is, it's the single most important thing. And no one is going to figure it out for you. You have to understand, you know, why are you out there? If you don't understand what that premise is and do not tell me your why is to qualify for Boston. Do not tell me your why is to qualify for the Olympic trials in whatever country you're from. That is not a why. Okay. That is a goal that is an objective. It's an aim. It's something that would make you proud. Hopefully it should make you proud and it better make you proud because if you're doing that, cause you want to impress your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, or any other person that's out there in your universe, that is never going to hold up when you're out there in the dark in a trail race in a hundred miles, because you are going to punch out every time it gets really dark. You're going to say, nope, because that's not why you're out there. You have to figure out why you want to get out of bed if you're a morning runner and tackle stuff before the sun comes up, before your day gets crazy. Or in my case, people think I'm a vampire and I never sleep because I run so much at night and after even midnight at times. Because for me, I will like do all my things during the day. And when I get the best window, that's when I will get my run in. Um, unless it's a key workout or something and me and you and a bunch of folks are going to meet in Central Park and we say, let's go hammer some miles. That's different. I'm not going to miss those opportunities. Group runs, whether they're just social chat runs or we're going to get some work done runs, I'm not missing those because I know what the value is in that opportunity to share, you know, to share those miles. I mean, that's what this show is about. Like run chats are like you're out on a 20 miler and all the shit you talk about that's sacred. It's like being in the confessional at church. You could say anything. It's like what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas, but you know, when the run's over, it's all good. Everybody's good. Everybody goes back to doing what they're doing, but you, you nailed it, you know, figuring it all out, 
is so important. And it, again, it's not about how much money you're going to raise for ALS or JDRF or anything else. Those are all wonderful things to do as a human being. They're meaningful and they will make you feel better about yourself and everything else. But again, it's not why you're out there and why you're committed to it. Yeah. If your buddy Brian is running and you want to beat Brian, that's not, that's not your why. That's like, that's, it's not about that either and all that stuff. But yeah, you're the, the group run comment. I love that because I'm a bit of a lone wolf. I like to do a lot of things on my own. Like I like running on my own. Uh, but then I like run with my wife, uh, run with my dog or, but then, you know, we also host like um, group runs out of Patagonia. Like I love my group runs. I love like, I love my runs in like two, two or three, four people, because that's like, that's huge. Right. And if you say you're going to meet to get the train and we're going to go to beacon or cold spring on the trails on the weekend, like I am on that train. I don't care if I get like four hours of sleep, like, my alarm can go off. I'm like, I am up getting my, getting my stuff. And I'm off to the train. Like that is, that is a special sacred time just to be like in nature or even on the road. If you want, if you're, if you're a roadie, but just to be with your friends and like maybe even new friends, you got to, you have to mix it up. And I think it's, I think it's, as, as I, like I said, as a lone wolf saying it, I think it's important. You really need to, especially, you know, living through COVID times, I think most people want to do this anyway, like meet with people start doing community things again like we're living in a much safer world again especially in new york city like we need that we need that kind of as part of our training and it's only going to help you when you know train towards if it's your race or just train for life i don't know what it is but yeah hugely important yeah it's I, we're on the same page there and i'm just finally getting on that plane again to london and seeing friends from all around the world and getting together to have some of those shakeouts and yeah, we had to go through a lot of COVID testing hoops, but I don't care. I'll do whatever anybody tells me if it means I can get on the starting line of a race. And, um, you know, whether it's a, a PCR test or a rapid flow test, I don't care. You know, we should have them as ubiquitous as they are in Europe. It's embarrassing in this country. You can go to any drugstore, you know, in London and literally pick up a seven pack, a 10 pack of tests for free. It's really incredible that they have them so readily available there in France and pretty much every other country over there in Europe, period. And we're just like so lagging um, in the most basic thing of all. You know, if you're just feeling like something's a little off or a little sketchy, what could be better than just go upstairs and take a five second test and know, OK, I don't have COVID. I don't have to freak out or worry about it. I can keep hanging out and go for runs outside and don't have to quarantine myself from my friends. Right. For sure. I mean, I. I love that we're traveling again. I, I went back to London for a long weekend a few weeks ago, and we went to Switzerland in, in, in July and did like a bikepacking tour. And um, just like, yeah, like just being able to go around and have, have the access for things like that, like it's huge. We, I mean, we bond because we're, we're, we're athletes that want to love to travel too. And like, it's like you said, you hit it on the head. Whatever it takes to get to London for you, you're going to do well, whatever it took to run Boston four times, I was going to do it, it. You can, there are, the examples are endless. And, um, it's that it's the mindset of that, which helps us overcome and, and, and succeed. And, um, it's, it's just basically, it's no excuses. There's no excuses. Like figure it out. If plan A doesn't work, there's B, there's C, there's D. I go for the alphabet and then do double A. I don't care. Like there's always a door you just got to figure out which door you're going to get through next and keep going, keep going towards it. Um, I don't know where that comes from for me or for you, but like you just I think more and more people just to be like, just keep, keep going. Never, ever give up. 
It's great advice. And I think, you know, your ultra experience just serves so well. And I'm happy, you know, that I've, I've only done a few at this point. Um, but I know one thing, ultra running teaches people problem solving. That's basically what it does because out there, everything happens, trips, falls on the rocks, bleeding, you know, blisters, you name it. Every single thing in the world can happen to you out there. And if it's an unsupported run like yours was, is one thing, at least you had the company on that last loop that you knew you were going to have people there to share that space with, even if you weren't chatting them up, even if they didn't join you and help you. Um, but in an ultra, you know, so much of it is solitary and you have to figure out how to solve the problem. Okay. My foot's bleeding. Okay. You know, I'm chafed so badly under my arm, like my arm's going to fall off or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you just have to figure it out. There's no other option. You have to figure it out. You piece it together. And hopefully if you have a crew and it's a, a race with crew, you know, there's people in there that are smarter than you or their brains are still working. And they're like, Hey, Steven, we got you, man. You don't have to worry about it. Don't worry, Ron. We'll, we'll hook you up and we'll, we'll piece you back together. Cause duct tape solves almost every problem out there. Right. Well, when, when you see your crew after one day, two, three or four days, I guarantee you that you're not smart and they are, they are smart and they're super tired too. Never forget how amazing crew are for giving up their time and their energy to like support you in, in, in a race because without the crew, I mean, the crew changes the game, right? But like, yeah, like you're, I mean, my brain is a sponge, like the Coca-Dona thing, like day three, it was like hundred degrees for the third day in a row. I'm in a desert. I'm like trying to sleep under a tree, which is like 95 degrees rather than a hundred. Like I'm screwed. I'm just messed up. I'm just dragging and dragging, like finally get to my crew stop and my wife and my friend uh, thicker there and like threw me in the van with the sleeping bag, like, you know, laid down and like fans going ice and like, just like, I'm just a body at that point. But like, I need, without that, like my race could have been, I was like, I was burning up there. Um, the crew, the crew is huge. The crew is huge. And it's the same for like, you know, let's go back to the marathon coming up in New York. Like, you know, you, if you're running it for the first time or the fifth time, like, you know, you got some friends that, that are going to be be in town, like get them on the course, make sure that they're going to be like in, in Brooklyn and, and Manhattan, like have a game plan, try and see them two, three times um, because you're going to love seeing a familiar face in the marathon. Like that is such a boost. I mean, it's the same as the crew in, a, in an ultra. It's great advice because there are first timers who are listening to my show and I love the fact that they are. Um, and as they're tackling this stuff, Things that we know from being experienced are things that are, they haven't thought through. Somebody you know lives in those boroughs. Someone you know you work with or they're friends of yours or you've met them for a run somewhere and they're not running. Man, don't be shy. It's not the time to be shy. Go on Facebook and say, hey, I'm running my first New York City marathon, man. If you let me know that you're going to be out on that course and tell me what corner you're going to be on or do a sign for me, I'm going to buy you dinner. I'm going to buy you drinks. I'm going to do something for you special because you hit the nail on the head, man. If you come through those sections, I've been lucky enough the last couple of New Yorks to have friends meet me with a second Morton bottle, a 320 bottle. You know, I always have one that I'll take and we've, I've always been in the local elite starting crowd. I won't be this year um, for the first time ever, but you know, just the way it worked out, I'm not going to be in there. But I always took one with me, you know, to the starting area, to that corral, and I'd start to drink it very slowly to get a little in, and then I'd just carry it for however long it would last me. Sometimes it's 10K, sometimes it's eight miles, depending on how slowly I'm drinking it. But from there, 
I know I'm going to get a second bottle of 320 out there, which is huge, which in my case means maybe I only need like two gels for the rest of the day versus in a regular marathon, you know, I might need four, four or five gels. So having that opportunity to utilize like the home field advantage, home court is big, man. And don't, don't mess with it. And if you don't have a time goal and you don't care about your time, man, you better be pulling over with those people taking some shots, man. Because if this is your first time through or your second time through or your third time through, man, you want to have some pictures to remember and you can't depend on the race photographers for that. So you better be ready to get some on-course selfies, man, of those epic places in New York and, uh, and basically have it, you know, captured forever. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, this is my, I think it's my eighth New York and it's my seventh time as a pacer. So I'm a pacer with uh, New York Roadrunners and me and me and a buddy, Devang, we, we do the 3.30 shift, what I'd like to call it, the 3.30 party train. And, um, and we do all of that. We, we do all the high-fiving on the sides and the sticks go in the air, like, you know, the, you know, the hot spots. And we have an absolute blast with our like team of like, we're kind of like Queen Bee in Brooklyn of all our little bees around us. Like, you know, if they, if they can touch our shoulder, it's like magic charm. Like, no, you haven't got to touch us, but like, just stay with us. And yeah, the energy is ridiculous. And I agree. Like, so if you're not pacing like me, which, you know, you know there's only a handful of paces, but uh, if you're just in it for like a good time and there isn't a time goal, I 100% agree. It's about the high fives, the selfies. If you're old enough, do a couple of shots, like Ron said, like, I'm all for that. Like, it's a, it's the biggest, and I've done a bunch of marathons. So like, it's, it's the biggest street party marathon in the world. And there's nothing that beats it. And I love London and I clearly love Boston, but New York is, um, we're a bit biased, but New York is wild. New York is New York. So it's just, yeah, it's going to be great. I think this year is going to be off the chart because it's, it's the 50th because of COVID. Um, there's a bunch of reasons why it's going to be crazy. I can't wait. I love that you laid all that down because you're from from London. You're from the UK, you know, born there. And London is my favorite international marathon. And it's to me, it's the closest to New York in terms of just the big city feel, big energy feel. Boston is more intimate because the road is narrow. We don't make a turn till 17 and a half miles. We only make three turns in the whole race, which is still mind boggling to me. But it's intimate, but it's 125 years of history, which is remarkable and runners are put on a pedestal but the energy and the block party thing no one does it like new york no you feel every different ethnic group in the world every kind of singing in the world from baptist singing to gospel singing to rap to you know bands playing live music you got you have every single bit of it out there on that course and you I mean it's there for you man it's waiting for you and it's the 50th and it's going to be epic and i just I'm gonna, it's my 10th New York and it's going to be my 60th marathon at age 60. So there's a lot of symmetry going on 60 marathon, 60 years old and 10th New York. And yeah, just, just all, all coming together. Now, what group, what, uh, bib color will you come out of? What, uh, what, uh, starting corral will you come out of? So, uh, I, I, I don't know, but I know it's a, it's a complicated one because we all got the emails a few days ago and, I don't, whatever, whatever color I am and all that, like it doesn't actually mean anything because the manager of the pace team, he just moves, he moves us all around. So whatever bib we have, it doesn't mean anything. You just find us wearing, we're back in the old school. We're in the, we're in the gel stripes. We're in the Navy in the white hoops. So we love that. We're, we're back in the old school uh, pace team kit with our, you know, pace sticks and our signs, eight minute miles, three thirty. We have a massive sign in the corral. Um, 
So, I mean, I'm probably way, I'm probably the back of wave one. Um, I could be lower bridge. I don't even know. It doesn't matter. But hopefully if you're in my group, you're in for an absolute wild time. Like we, we bring the bad jokes. They get worse as we go along. Uh, but uh, we, we nail our time every year. We always hit th- just under 3.30, like 3.29.30 is our exact goal time. And we hit it. We hit it almost to the second every single year. Um, we just love giving back. We love being able to like to have to have the kind of skill and the experience of being a pacer and not being nervous. Because my first one, I was hella nervous. It was 2013. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the corral and I was like looking for a porter John. Like I had all these people from different countries asking me questions. I was like, I'm in over my head. But I got it done. Um, you know, you have to start somewhere. And years later, I'm I'm doing it again. And yeah, it means. New York is now my second home, but it's my home. And, uh, um, yeah, that's the, so I don't know where I'm going to be, but, uh, probably the back of wave one. Okay. I'll post as we get closer. Cause I have a lot of friends who want to run three thirty. like that's their number. That's what they're looking for. And of course, things are going to be different this year as all the races have been as London was as Boston was as New York is. And I normally know all this stuff, but it's kind of still fluid at this point. Um, so like I said, I've normally always been in the local elite New York city, you know, corral, which is like the first one. We're usually on the lower bridge left and that's where we are. But this year I'm in green, uh, wave one, I think like corral C and I'm not worried about it as much for myself cause I'm just going to be cruising and just enjoying it. Um, it's, you know, you know, where I'm coming back from injury, I've got a, a long ways to go to really get fitness back, but that is not going to spoil the party for me. You're not going to run a PR after doing Boston and London this year. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but <laughs> we're going to, we're going to have a PR and fun. I can assure you that man, high fives will be had, uh, shout outs and screams will be had cool selfies will be had and enjoyment. Um, it's just the best damn course in the world to rip and have fun on. And I can't wait for us to get out there. Well, actually I can wait. I could, the body could use a little more recovery time, which I'm talking to the guy who just racked up one Oh six. So I I'm sure you could use a little more recovery time yourself, right? I should have put PW in front on my bib for Boston. I like the, the P the PR in front for, for New York. I, I actually, I like that. It's a, it's a great way of looking at it. I love it. Well, one thing you set yourself up for, Stephen, is no matter what age you keep running Boston at, because I'm at 60 now, you know that you're going to be able to take that thing down, even if you're still running at like 70 or 75. You're going to be like, oh, I got this. This is still not going to be my slowest Boston. So in a way, you basically gave yourself a shot that you could still always beat that time as you as you keep aging and keep racking up the miles. That's 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 a new goal. It wasn't really planned until after it happened. That I hit a six hour thirty nine. I'm like, I think that's a life that's a life goal to beat that before I drop dead. I'm just going to keep being there in Boston. But a good a good running buddy of mine, he said yesterday, he said, "Wait, you ran you ran four hours slower than your best Boston." I said, "I didn't think about it, but yeah, I ran four hours slower than my best Boston." And I was like, "I mean, why would I think of it that way?" It was like I started at mile seventy nine, like covered in sweat and aquaphor and just a hot frigging mess. Like I had no, I mean, I was trying to go back in five hours. Like that was a goal before, like, you know, sitting on the sofa, it sounds, it sounds doable. Six, 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 five. Then you actually go and try and do it. Like I was like, let's just try and go sub 24. So just missed that. But, you know, like we said, it's not about your why isn't about a number. It's not about a name. And it wasn't about the number that was a bonus for me, but 
to just getting it done in 25 and change. Um, again, the number really doesn't mean much. It's like I did the Boston quad. It's in the history books. I will, as someone else pointed out, I'll, one day I'll be in an old people's home trying to convince people what I did and they won't believe me, which I kind of think is hilarious because I'm like, I don't want to be in one of those. But if I am, I will tell the story a lot. And if not, hopefully people like me will be around to tell it for you. And this podcast, more importantly, will live on long after after we're out of here, my friend, this podcast, somebody can hit that play button and say, I want to hear about this guy's story who racked up a hundred mile unsupported, basically unplanned Boston quad and just kind of figured this shit out on the fly and got it the fuck done. Because I, mad respect, brother. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Um, so much more amazing that you have to manage all you do from the diabetes side. I mean, even if you were perfectly healthy and didn't have any of that stuff to do, it's just an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Uh, so impressed as hell. And thank you so much for sharing it because I have no doubt it's going to inspire a lot of people to take on more crazy stuff, which I mean, that's kind of the premise of the show, man. If you do fun, crazy adventure stuff, you'll have a good chance to end up on the other side of the mic like Steven and tell your story, man. So hopefully Steven, Steven's story is going to be like, oh, I think I can do this. I think I could try that. <laughs> and yeah, man, that's what we want. We want more people to come on and share wild, adventurous, crazy goals that actually came true that he made come true, that came to life. Well, I appreciate you saying all that. It means a lot coming from you. And if I couldn't get on for doing Coca-Dona, I knew if I did a Boston quad, I could probably get on your show. So see, dreams come true. Awesome, man. Listen, before we roll out, uh, is there anything big that you have planned? Other, obviously, I know you'll be pacing New York. Anything like big next year or just anything top of mind that's big that you're going to be focused on to just uh, talk about? with the followers and listeners of the show, if they're going to be like paying attention to what you're up to over the next, I don't know, year or so, something you've got in the, in the, in the sites that's out there on the horizon. Yeah. There's always stuff in the sites. I mean, the resume is pretty full with all the big, the big ones for the hundred miles and a few 200s, but there's always more. Um, I haven't, I've tried to get into hard rock for about eight years in a row. So my odds are getting better and better for hard rock. So, I mean, who knows when, but maybe next summer would be amazing. Um, I, did a, I did a race called Tour de Gens in Italy uh, two years ago, which is the, the biggest and I guess the hardest 200 in the world. It's 80,000 foot of climbing, a big loop in the, in the Italian Alps. They have an even bigger race than Tour de Gens called Tour de, Tour de Glaciers. It's a uh, 450K uh unmarked you basically go refugio to refugio you have to use your course watch and your map and you know survival skills and that scares the life out of me and anything that scares the life out of me i am in so i didn't get to do it this year and i had some big fomo with people doing it and i love the i love the alps i love i love getting the wizard sticks out and being on my own for many days figuring this crap out so i think Torre glacier will be my next next year's huge race but I would love hard rock as a little as a little uh, little warm up to that. Uh, kind of a joke because hard rock is really hard. But those two, those two are my big ones. Um, yeah, and I'll leave it at that for now because it's probably a longer list. But those those are the ones I'm really looking to do. Well, those are two epic adventure, you know, just wild uh, things to tackle. 
and take on. And very different, of course. Um, you know, Hard Rock's considered by many to be the hardest uh, of all of them to run in terms of in the 100-mile space. And then, you know, the whole, you know, figuring it out in your own orienteering, yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> I'll be like off a cliff or lost in a cave or somewhere else. So, yeah, I'm not here for that one. But I might come and just take some cool photos on the course and just like hang out and be in your crew or something. But uh, maybe we'll get a Koros crew together to do some documenting over there and and do some kind of live shows. That would be really fun. I think we needed to start doing more of that stuff, get on the road and, you know, get mic'd up and, you know, get people on, on the mics live as they're coming through an aid station. And, you oh, know, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. There's no INT. This is these things that I, that I've taken on. Like this is all, I have a, an amazing wife in Tiffany. That's like my crew chief and amazing friends around the country that, you know, fly out to West coast, Europe, whatever, like, without that support and like in person and just even like if people can't make it, like just like tapping in on like, you know, Facebook kind of cheering me on. Like it's just, it's a, it's a, we said it before a lot in the show, but like, it's a, it's a massive boost. These things aren't just done by like kind of the lead singer as, as such. Like there's a whole band around these, around these wild adventures. And uh, I couldn't do it without the support. I truly mean it. Love it. Love it. Well, we're going to, we're going to tackle more things and we're going to get, Coros involved with more because obviously they're the we believe strongly in the company and their metrics and software and all the cool stuff they're doing but um they're all about adventure man and tackling big adventures and and that's why we're that's what we're all here for um so we'll get we're going to keep getting them more involved and uh, i definitely want to see let's hook up in new york i've done a shakeout run on saturday in central park for years um, there have been some years where it's been 100 plus people, then other years where it's 20 people. It varies greatly, as you know, because it's the day before the race and everybody's dealing with their own anxieties. But I would love to get you to join one of my runs um, before the race and meet some of my other friends and uh, hang a little bit. I'll probably have my pod equipment in the city and, you know, maybe try to do some fun little segment shots, you know, maybe even do something live in the park. Who knows? But definitely be in touch uh, as we get close to race day and maybe meet some of the people that you're going to end up pacing, which would be really fun. I think it'd be cool if you got a chance to meet a couple of them and be like, hey, it's Steven. I'm going to be following him in the 330 group. And I'll be like, don't touch, don't touch. Just like, you know, <laughs> hang out, you know, listen to the jokes and all, but don't be like all touchy feely, you know, so just leave him be, you know, leave him be in his own space. And, uh, you can see me. You won't, you won't lose me. I know, I know, I know you're on my shoulder. I can, I can almost see you. Yeah, you, so. exactly. I love, I love, I love doing it. I love, I love helping people to their goals. So yeah, I, I'm all for it. Let's do the shakeout run Saturday before the race. You know, I don't live far from the central park. I'm lucky to live close to it. So, uh, I'm in heard it here first. I'm definitely in to do that run. We'll do, do lots of things around the race. Love it. We'll make that happen. I'll have to bring some run chat swag to give away some some hoodies or some hats or something fun and uh, just make something a little adventurous out of it. But uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on, brother, so close after the race and sharing this wild, epic story with the Run Chats audience. I can't wait for everybody to hear this one and get inspired, man, because if this doesn't get you going, man, if this doesn't get the juices flowing, man, you're listening to the wrong show, man. And I know the people who are listening to my show, they're going to get juiced by this, man. They're going to they're gonna get big vibes from it. So thank you, man, for sharing the nitty gritty and all the details and, and for coming on, man. Appreciate you. Ron, you're a legend. I really appreciate being on. And like you said, just after Boston, the Boston court, it's still fresh in my mind because give me one more week and it wouldn't have been as good of a show because I would be like, I don't know what happened. So this is good that we got it. We got it out there 
documented before it's all uh, it's all wishy-washy so yeah 100 for 100 it happened and it, anything you believe make it come true you can do it love it absolutely love it so we sign off every show we keep telling everybody to keep lacing them up keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight wow that is a truly awe-inspiring impressive effort from Stephen england I still remember looking at the group message on our Koros Explorers page. We're part of Team Koros. When I saw the uh, graphic visuals flash up for him having run 106 miles at Boston and just, you know, the emoji eyes followed, head explosion followed and all of it. I was just in total awe, as were most of the folks in our Koros group. And that's a pretty impressive collection of athletes from around the world competing in every sort of uh, endurance sport out there. So kudos to you, Stephen, on what you're doing uh, to raise awareness in the type one, type two, type three diabetes arena, the many different types. I, I think that's the only ones I'm aware of. Um, I did learn that much from him in our discussion, but what an impressive guy. Um, definitely has a big presence here in New York City as one of the pacers for the New York City Marathon every year. Such a reliable uh, pacer and always gets his runners in under the time frame they're looking for, no matter what the weather and conditions. So definitely give him a follow for more inspo. I'm going to make sure he comes out to my um, Saturday shakeout the day before the New York City Marathon. So if any of you want to meet him, come on out to that. It'll be Saturday sometime in the park uh, the day before the marathon. So exciting stuff inspiring as all hell. And uh, just want to say thanks to everybody. We had a couple of week break there and you guys all hung in there and just jumped right back on with super positive energy, writing great reviews on Apple Podcasts, which really helps us out so much. So thank you for that. We're definitely going to start doing some fun giveaways soon. I do have some things in stock now, some hoodies, some hats, some shirts. So it's going to be fun to play giveaway time and send some stuff out to the listeners and guests on the show who are helping us build this uh, platform of positivity. So as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>